0: Welcome to the third season of the CSC Podcast. I'm Phil Haas, Director of Marketing and Communications for Classic Stage Company. On today's show, we'll speak with Artistic Director John Doyle about the upcoming season and his production of Assassins. We'll also talk about reopening the theater, how the company survived the pandemic, with CSC's Chief Operating Officer and General Manager, Tony Marie Davis. All that, Plus, I'll introduce you to our new co-host, all coming up on the CSC podcast. Hi, everyone. It's Phil again, and I'm excited to welcome you back for the third season of our podcast. I'm especially happy to introduce you to our new podcast co-host, Zudi Bowery. Hi, Zudi. Hi, Phil. Zudi is our new producing artistic associate and he'll be working on our in-person productions as well as special programming and projects like our classic perspectives talkbacks and our classic conversations as, as well as this podcast.
1: Um, so Zudi, I'm, I'm
0: so glad you're on board. Thank you,
1: Phil. Uh, I've been working with CSC for about a month now and it's been one of the most extraordinary experiences of my career so far to be even a small part of this historic reopening of New York theaters in general, but especially with classic stage. And it makes me really proud and as cheesy as it sounds a little emotional. (laughs) You know, I, I I really agree with that sentiment,
0: Um, you know, closing and now reopening the theater. It's been really challenging on so many levels. And um, well, that's why, why I thought and why you thought it would be good to talk to two of the people kind of leading the organization about, what went into opening our doors, uh, reopening them after nearly a year and a half of, of being shut down and being closed. Um, Zudi, you spoke with, with John, how,
1: how was that? It was absolutely amazing. I mean, I felt so lucky to be able to sit down with him and see what went through his mind as we returned from such a long break from the theater. Uh, Theatres across the country had to grapple with how to come back from COVID-19, and especially theaters like ours where the space is really intimate, so with both the actors and the audience.
0: Great. Should we we take a listen to that interview? Yeah. All right.
1: Hi, John. Very happy to have you here with us. Thank you for joining. My pleasure, Ziddy. So, Black Odyssey, Snow and Midsummer, A Man of No Importance, and of course, Assassins. It's a dynamic, vivid and phenomenal season, but what was your experience as you began selecting this season pre-pandemic?
2: Well, you know, I don't set out when I'm choosing a season to do anything that's dynamic or vivid or anything else, to be honest. I just try to find pieces that I think that would help to stretch our audience. I think that's a key part of it, right? To develop new audiences is a big part of our, our job. And, obviously, to find pieces that fit the mission mm-hmm. of the company. And, uh, you know, much has happened during the last 20, 21 months, um, that where our world has changed in many ways, uh, much of some of that sad, some of it really positive. and um, I think what it's done is made companies like our company really look at what it's been doing and see how it can develop what it's been doing rather than thinking, okay, well, we'll now change our repertoire altogether. Now, how do we actually take from our repertoire and build upon it in order to address our mission in relation to the new world that we live in? And that's why I chose the two plays in particular. Um, You know, these are, they're old stories. If we think of, if, if the word old and classic have to go together, I don't believe they do. Gritty. But they are old stories. Yeah. Um, they're older than Shakespeare, both of them. Yeah. But of course, they're seen through a different lens. What I'm excited about is that they're both seen through the lens of young modern American writers um, one African American writer, one Asian American writer. But really, you know, I'm, I'm excited by that.
1: Was this a decision that you were these shows? chosen pre-pandemic and we continued them post
2: i'd been i'd been toying with snow in midsummer mm-hmm. pre-pandemic it was introduced to me by uh, jane cox who's our lighting designer who just lights a lot of our shows and she had done it out at oregon shakespeare and then i looked into it and i saw that the royal shakespeare had company in britain had commissioned it and then I did a little more research and then I got a copy of the script and then thought "Ah, oh, this is good, but by this time I think we were going into pandemic. Um, and then uh, Marcus Gardley, who's the writer of Black Odyssey, I know personally, um, and I started looking into what his repertoire of work was and saw Black Odyssey in that. Ah, thought, ah, oh, this, this is interesting, the very title tells me what I need to know. And then I read both plays and I thought they were really good, really exciting, and also visually stimulating, I think, which is which is wonderful. Um, but, uh, you know, it, sometimes when you make a season of work, I think it's only in hindsight that you think, oh, there's a shape there. Or there's, right. it, you know? Right, I, right. We, we did that season that everybody kind of called the gothic season. You know, I, even that included... Um, the scottish play and it would have included assassins actually originally that whole season of work oh, that yeah. included dracula and frankenstein you know all plays that would involve blood in some way or another but i didn't set out thinking i'm going to make a gothic season <laughs> <laughs> uh, no not for a minute um, but i you know i i do believe that we should be doing work that attracts new audiences and i'm hopeful that these plays whilst they will sustain our existing loyal audience will open up to new audiences as well. And of course, I didn't talk about A Man of No Importance in there. You know, now and again, you do something for yourself. And it's my last piece that I will do at Classic Stage. I really like the music. I really like the score. I've always wanted to do an Aaron St. Flaherty musical and I've never done one. It, It is rooted in imagery that is about Oscar Wilde. So that belongs, love right oil, oh yeah. That belongs to the, uh, the kind of material that we might look at. Um, but most of all, it's about a person who, who finds their, they, who frees their soul through the arts. And I was interested in, even though the, this person who's in it is an ordinary person, an ordinary man, um, who is, is, is um, a man of no importance as he sees himself as, who is working with his community theatre company to make a little show? You know, you know. I once worked with my community theatre company to make a little show, and I think that's the experience of many people who love the theatre. Uh, and so I thought there was something very beautiful about it, and it suits my aesthetic, whatever that is. It suits my kind of, um, you know, we'll use these pieces and we'll make a bus out of them, or now in somebody's kitchen but it's the same things it suits that the piece is written to be done that way and there's also the 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 book of the musical is written by my late dear friend terence mcnally and i wanted to take an opportunity to honor terence i think he's one of the great american book writer well great american writers but great american book writers of musicals um and i felt that this and i know he loved our space um and it was his local theatre, as he always called it, because he lived nearby. So I, I wanted to honour him. Yeah, that's so
1: great. I mean, and you, you spoke a second about your, it, it's also your aesthetic. Yeah. And you <laughs> yeah. talked a little bit about what that is, but I'm also interested in how it,
2: where it stemmed from, because I've heard you speak about that before, and I found it so interesting. Yeah, my way of working grew out of, you know, I started a theatre company in the highlands of Scotland with a small van and four people, a little truck, and there was only enough room in the truck to put three boxes that we turned upside down and put our props into and our costumes. (laughs) And really, on some level or another, whether it's been in the West End or Sydney Opera House or Broadway or anywhere else, I've been doing that ever since. That's kind of how I make work. And it's. I could say to you that, that I could justify that by saying, well, you know, I've worked in many places that don't have a lot of Money. Mm-hmm. I'm very comfortable working in places that don't have a lot of money. I'm less comfortable working with places that do have a lot of money because actually I sometimes think there might be more appropriate things to spend our money on in society. Yes. And so, and that's not to say money shouldn't be spent on the theatre, but it should be in balance. And um, so it's easy to say, oh, it's oh that's John Doyle doing his you know poor theatre, or it's John Doyle <laughs> doing his actor musician thing, or whatever people want to say, they'll say anyway. But for me, it's about how do I ask the audience to imagine, and if if I put things onto the platform that do all the visual work, you know, um, uh, that do that uh, a a painted cloth comes in, or a real tree comes on, or whatever, then I'm not asking the audience to use their imagination. I'm telling them where they are. And I'm much more interested in asking the audience to imagine where it is. And if you and I are watching the same show, you might think it's somewhere entirely different to me. The audience never needs to know what I think it is. They just see what what I put up there. And I don't feel that I need to justify that. I mean, that's my job as an artist. To paint a picture the way I see the picture, so my lens is one of of people call it minimalism. People say you know it's very particular. It it, it, it is rooted it is rooted in the belief that theatre can be done anywhere. Yeah, if you want to tell a story, you will tell the story. If you haven't got the money to tell the story, you will still tell the story if you think the story is important. And I think other cultures have taught us that yeah. you know in a way that our own American or in my case, British culture, sometimes the danger is of thinking, "Oh, I'll throw a lot of money on at it and that'll make it good. I don't think right. it makes it good. I think it uh, it just glistens it up. It
1: also feel... feels like you're almost sometimes asking the audience to be to, to have the same eye. You, I want you all to see that we're in the forest. So now I'm going to make sure that we all see the same
2: forest or you know Correct. whatever it is. Well, and you're saying it doesn't have to no, be that way. it doesn't have to be that way. It might be good that you say, okay, we're now all in the forest. But yeah. the forest that you will explore... That you will know from your life experience and mine are entirely different. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, if I'm in a forest, I'm in a forest in the Highlands of Scotland. You've possibly never been to the Highlands That's of Scotland. That's right, yeah. But you'll have been somewhere that I've not been. Whereas if I bring on a particular kind of tree, yeah. uh, then that tells you what forest you're in. <laughs> yes. And to me, that ceases to be interesting. But, you know, some people like that, some people hate that. Right. I'm very comfortable with that. I mean, I feel yeah. very, uh, I, my, my, the audience for my work generally has been split down the middle. I'm not in the. Int- I'm not really doing it for any person who thinks, "Well, that was nice. What use is that to me?" Right. I'm actually, though, in fairness, not doing it specifically for a specific audience. I'm just telling it, and I'm telling it the way through the lens I see, because all I have are my own eyes and my own imagination. Right. That's all I have. I can't have somebody else's. So that's what I do. What's something that you m- that might surprise our audience about the way you approach your work? Something that might surprise the audience. You know what? I never ever set out to surprise anybody. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I might surprise my grandkids. They'll give me them a <laughs> sure. gift or something. But I know um, I don't do that. I don't. I don't. Uh, this is. Uh, I'm going to say something that, when quoted out of context, sounds terrible but i don't really stop and think what will the audience think yeah because my job isn't to please right my job is to challenge and i'm not bothered if people like it how wonderful if people don't like it how wonderful it's not i can't legislate for that right yeah i don't like fish <laughs> that's okay. just a way of life <laughs> right I, I do you see what i'm saying yeah, that so makes i sense. don't set out to do that and i don't don't set out to surprise because I'm not, I'm not somebody who thinks, how can I make this show different to the last thing I did? Right? Oh. I see it as a, for me, it's a body of work. And I, I, I often joke with the actors and say that I don't really think of myself as putting on shows. I think of myself as putting on experiments in theater. So to me, every one of them is an experiment. And they use the same techniques many, many times. People will talk about the chairs and assassins being like the chairs in, in in the color purple. And when they do that, and they think, "Oh, it's the same thing," I think, "Hey, great, you got it <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. Got I wasn't it. trying to trick you. This is to what trick I
2: was because there were chairs just like that in my home <laughs> in Scotland when <laughs> right. I was a boy, and I told stories on them. It's exactly the same thing. There's so, a through line that way. Uh, I don't set out for there to be a through line. I kind but of. But you are who you are. I yes. am who I am. I kind of think you're only as good as the job you're doing today. I love doing what I do, and if I never got to do another one, that would be okay. I, but I love it. Don't, don't mis, don't you know? <laughs> not meaning to mislead you there. It's not about not being responsible for it. But yeah, you are who you are. You can only see the world the way you see it. And sometimes I, th- I think maybe initially when I came here, because people saw my work as being, you know, I did a couple of musicals on Broadway that were kind of art house in a way that were, you know, a little off-the-wall, out-of-the-box oh, okay. uh, sure. revivals, which I think have opened the door to a whole slew of revivals that have been done in various out-of-the-box ways, and so they should be. Um, but when I started doing plays here, people were surprised. It was like, I, thought, I mean, one of the reasons I came to Classic Stage was to do some plays, because I thought, I don't think people know that I can read,
3: <laughs> do you know? <laughs> because
2: they just think that I should move people around the stage playing the tuba. <laughs> and actually, yeah. I've got you know I've done over three hundred pieces of work in my life, and most of them have been plays. So sometimes, sometimes that surprises people. And I think occasionally, people get surprised. People who don't know me get surprised that I have a sense of humour, because they do think that I'm a little bit staunch and Scottish and serious. And actually, I'm not particularly not in yeah. real life. I don't think I am at all actually. But uh, but. That I actually do think that could surprise some people. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I, I'm very interested that some people who have written to me about, about um, assassins say things like, and the comedy scenes were wonderful as if they're really thinking, I had no idea you could direct comedy. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's all about where you are in your career. This was a really nice discussion. Yeah, please. Thank, thank, thank you, you, John. Mm-hmm.
1: Pleasure.
0: That was really great. Zutty. Um, You know, it's so interesting to me that John, um, before he came to CSC, was known so much more for musicals and, and only doing that. I mean, he's well known for that, right? But since he's been here for so many years now, I think that really has changed, that he's not known just for musicals anymore. I think he is known for work, you know, like the production of the Scottish play that we did a couple of years ago and more things like that. You know, it's not just the Sweeney Todd and the company and all of that. I think there's it's more rounded than it was. And it's it's kind of surprising to think that just like a few years ago, that wasn't the case.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And w- something else that stuck out to me was the way he talked about, um, it is part of his aesthetic, what you just mentioned, and yeah. also accessible theater, mm-hmm. which is pretty extraordinary to hear him talk about. I mean, that's sort of what we want to do is to be able to inspire people to be able to, I don't know, take what he's offered and try to make it into, you know, our own spread that. And it's easy to do because it's only taking random set pieces and putting them together and things like that. It makes it really easy for people anywhere to be able to say, well, I actually can put on a show. It doesn't necessarily have to be big, Broadway lights or mm-hmm. anything like that. That's yeah. Right.
0: Well, and that's curious too, because in so many ways, you know, in my experience dealing with audiences and, and marketing and, and all mm-hmm. that here that a, not a lot of the audience members, but there were audience members that were so used to the old way of doing productions here at CSC. They were used to the, the hoop skirts and the the real, those big costumes. And, and right. so they really don't, um, they don't find John's aesthetic, accessible, right? But in actuality, it is more accessible for more people. So in a way, I think we're reaching a broader audience, a newer audience, and it's a different audience now than may have been the folks that were here attending the shows when John began. I mean, plenty of people have have stayed. I'm saying that this is really just a select bunch I'm talking about. Yeah, right. But I do think in general that the the shows are more, they're more accessible for, for
1: more people. Phil, you spoke to Tony Davis, who's our Chief Operating Officer and General Manager. What did you guys talk about? Well, it was a really great conversation.
0: Um, you know, personally, Tony and I have known each other for quite some time. Um, you know, we've we've worked at other institutions together as well. Um, so it was nice to just kind of sit and chat and reflect on the work that we've done together and the work that CSC has been doing since the shutdown. Um you know we talked a lot about what it's taken to reopen this theater and it hasn't been easy um, but I don't want to give away too much Should we just listen yeah, yeah let's do it all right I'm here with Tony Marie Davis who is the chief operating officer and general manager for classic stage company hi Tony thank you so much for joining us today
3: hi Phil
0: so we're really interested to find out more about what it's been like to reopen Classic Stage Company after all this time, um, can you talk a little bit about what the process was like? Maybe going back even as far as when the pandemic began, and how has the company kind of stayed open, stayed afloat during this time? Um, let's let's start there and see you know where that where that brings us.
3: Sure. So, you know, like. Everyone probably listening to this podcast right now, in March of 2020, everyone's lives, both personally and professionally, went into the unknown world. Um, and I think that, for me, I can say, we thought, oh, in a month. We're just pausing for a month, uh, and then we'll be back. And uh within a month, we knew that that, well, I should actually say, within a week, we knew a month was not going to be um, happening, but we did, you know, could it be the summer? Could it be the fall? Um, And I think probably sometime in the summer we thought, oh, it's going to be, it's going to be a while, Um, but we still didn't know what a while meant. Um, The irony is that if you skip to uh, sort of spring of 21, all of a sudden the mayor, And the state made a proclamation that theaters could start to reopen. And people went, oh, okay, we'll start doing it. And we were like, whoa, 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 we're not ready yet. (laughs) Um, And I know that I'm not the only off-Broadway theater that had that same sort of what. Um, But I still think people were skeptical of whether or not that could be the fall or whether or not you were even looking at 2022. Um, But throughout that whole process, going back to spring of 2020, you know, keeping, keeping the theater going, um, you know, it was a multi-pronged approach. Um, in the one hand, you were uh, trying to figure out what you were going to do to maintain your audience um, base, your, um, and so I think we were very successful with our classic conversations um, and our podcasts. Um, I, I think, you know, there was conversations that we were having about, you know, what, what virtual programming should we do? Um, and I think, some of our colleagues uh, really succeeded in, in being able to do readings, um, uh, uh, or or productions mm-hmm. um, for the virtual for the streaming platform. Um, I, for classic stage, um, I I wasn't so sure that a, a reading of uh, you know a, a Shakespeare work. Mm-hmm. Who, would be, would be the best thing for us to do. Um, also with the staff that we had on board right. um, to do that. So I think continuing programs that we were doing live in person, such as the Classic Conversation, was a great way of being able to um, keep to our mission and keep our theaters involved and not try to do something that we couldn't really know if we could do it to the best of our abilities. Right, right. Um, You know we would didn't want to try to do theater on film right um you know i think the other things that we were doing especially in terms of we always knew we would come back with assassins Um, we had a company of actors and designers um, and other artists who wanted to make sure this work was done our set was ready the lights were hung um it made and, and audiences we were sold out um, and for the original run and so it was important to us that this is how we opened and that we opened big we opened with a bang so to speak with assassins um, and so that meant you know John Doyle and myself you know consistently checking in with all the artists involved to to, um, to make sure that you know they knew what was going on and what we were thinking and sometimes those check-ins were we don't know anything more We're we're waiting um uh as we all play epidemiologists um mm. and uh and so you know as we got closer to it um when we got to the summer of of 2021 and we actually said we got dates um we're ready to do this um i can honestly say then the next four months are a whirlwind
0: yes yeah i mean i know personally as well yeah. so yeah it has been uh it's been a bit crazy um one of the other things that that CSC did during that time is that a lot of the the virtual efforts they were also focused on assassins in order to keep that audience engaged mm-hmm. um, and those artists engaged as well. Um, can you talk a little bit about you know why we did that and why you know we sort of put all of our eggs in one basket so to speak? Um, and you know we had our virtual tell the story benefit, which was about the history of assassins and this hopefully at the time coming production which is now here um, and our classic conversations were with they started with all of the actors in our production of assassins so you know why did we why did we make that that why did we why why were we investing so much in assassins is as that at that time?
3: well I mean I think part of it is we knew that our audiences and our patrons this was something this was a show that people wanted to see well before we knew about a pandemic happening Um, and you know for me and I can't speak for the audiences um, uh, who tuned in I mean we know it worked because people did tune in and our our audiences you know uh, built and we went not just you know New York tri-state area, but we were getting across the country, and we were getting globally, especially when it came to the tell the story um, for the fundraising event. But for me, it kept me going. Hmm. It was this. You know, it's interesting. At one point, in time there was conversations about well, you could reopen, but you have to reopen at twenty five percent capacity or thirty percent capacity, hmm. and I. Just thought, we've all been experiencing this unbelievable, awful year and a half, right? On a personal level, on a professional All of our worlds have yes. been turned upside down. And how how would it feel to go through all that, come back to live audiences, and have... 40 people sitting in the house and so i think because we still we we knew that we that people i mean we were hearing it we were getting you know social media and and feedback of like i can't wait for this i can't wait for this and not to say oh this was giving people hope but there was something to look forward to right there was something you know out there and and I think that was another reason of why we chose at the start of it um, the virtual programming to focus on assassins was we knew this was people it was putting smiles on people's faces it was something that um, yeah there was so much going on and I'm I'm thrilled that we were able to with classic conversations you know um, uh, have them transition to talk about um you know national conversations that were going on with equity and diversity and the role of theater and what that um and and the essential uh role that we play in the and the responsibilities that mm-hmm. we have but i just think there was this like it it, it made people happy that there's something yeah. it's coming it's 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 at <laughs> some point in time the theater is going to reopen
0: yeah it was exciting it was yeah. exciting to be a part of all of that too um, so when when theaters started reopening, um, a lot of theaters started opening much earlier than CSC did, um, you know, especially on Broadway, when you look at some of those shows that opened right around Labor Day. Um, and uh, even newer plays opened earlier than that, right? Mm-hmm. Passover opened over the summer as well. Um, what was the decision behind letting CSC wait a little bit? You know, it's, we didn't reopen until the beginning of November. Um, mm. Beyond logistics, were there other reasons for that?
3: I mean, I the, the 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 largest reason was, again, Broadway, you have such huge resources um, in terms of being able to, um, from management, uh, but also being able to deal with the, you know... Covid updates and and what are the requirements with unions and how do we keep audiences safe and you know when you go into a, a big Broadway house you have a full slate of <laughs> you know house managers and and ushers and then those people are talking to the building management and you know all that sort of stuff and I think there was um, uh, there was part of me very selfishly that said let's some of these other places. <laughs> Work out a system and then let us learn from that because we're, we're small, very mighty, but small. And I thought, oh, I don't know that I want to be the one who's, who's learning the lessons. Right. The other thing that audiences probably don't know um, is that th- for those of anyone who's listening who's been at Classic Stage, um, a lot of people walk in for the first time and go, oh, this is a great space. But it's an old Space Quite. Um, that has a lot of charm behind it. Um, we we did a lot of renovations in the space um, in terms of not just our HVAC upgrades, but our dressing rooms were completely gutted uh, and redone, and a lot of that was instigated by um, air. Quality and air circulation mm-hmm. um we we did not it was not responsible for us to invite this incredible company or future companies uh back into the dressing rooms and say oh well we put out some pepa filters for you so you right. should be fine right. um we really <laughs> wanted people to feel safe we wanted people to feel um mm welcomed in the space mm-hmm. um, that doesn't mean that like the dressing rooms before were you know open ceiling and you know paint falling down or anything it wasn't it wasn't an unsafe environment it just it needed it's the one area that um that needed attention okay. so that also scheduling all that work it, it's tricky because what you needed to do um the the, the um, professional guidance kept changing as well mm. in terms of what kind of air quality, what kind of circulation. And so one could say, When well, you could have done that work a year ago. If we'd done the work a year ago, we would have made very bad investments um, mm. because, because you know, we learned more. Uh, so there was a lot of sort of waiting until we knew what we'd actually have to do so that we did it right and didn't have to go back and do it again.
0: Sure. Um, so here we are, the, the show's opened, it's been playing at this point um, when we're recording this, uh, this interview, it's been playing for a couple weeks now, um, it's sold out, audiences are really enjoying themselves when, when they come to the show, um, however, there have been some hiccups along the way, for sure, mostly because of the COVID reasons or things like that, what do you think, Tony, in terms of um, keeping the show running, right, it's going to go now until the end of January. What might be those obstacles that get in the way of us really making sure that we can get through the end of January at this point with new cases that pop up and the Delta variant? You know, there's probably going to be another variant that pops up. Hopefully, maybe oh, hopefully Phil, not. Phil, please. <laughs> but you know what? What what are you prepared for so that we can keep the show open as much as possible and so that audiences feel safe when they come into the theater because it's something we've heard a lot about from the audiences during the rebooking process and all of that you know, what are we doing and what are we going to keep doing in order to make it a really safe place from now until the end of the run? Um, you know, it's, it's a lot of time ahead of us.
3: (laughs) It's a lot of time. Um, and I can't believe it's been going for two weeks. Um, (laughs) thus far, I mean, you know, it's interesting. You can put on paper every plan. Mm -hmm. You can, you can work out every scenario, but until that first, Call you get um, uh, that says, "Oh, we may have we may have someone test positive," and you go, "Okay," <laughs> and then you go to the plan, um, yeah. and then you modify the plan, and you learn the plan, and um, I mean, luckily, knock on wood, our hiccups um, have pretty much been surrounded by some false. Uh, rapid testing Mm -hmm. Um, and so we we have been very fortunate um, uh, to not have um, an actual uh, case Um, but I think one thing is is being flexible around that yeah Um, we do listen to uh, feedback not just from our our company you know anytime we've had a hiccup we've gone and and explained to the company the steps that we took what happened if someone feels like there was something else that could have been done or should have been done, we, we open, um, we welcome uh, that feedback. I mean, I've been told from company members, um, uh, even recently, just appreciative of, of, of what we've done, um, of how transparent we've been, um, and and fee- and they've, they've felt like they're very protected right. and very safe. Now, part of that also is that they have taken on the responsibility on their own. there's only so much i can do once you enter the doors of csc there's a lot of responsibility of what you do when you leave the doors and i know that that's a hardship for for several of them to always feel like well i don't know if i can go to that party that my friend invited me to right. because i do have a responsibility to this show so i'm i'm appreciative that they are all thinking that as well you know the same goes for audiences um, Again, I think that we've done um, between between explaining to the public all the steps that we have in place, um, and and actually doing the steps. If, if that's vac- vaccination um, checks at the door before you enter, if that's going around however many times before the show starts to remind people to wear their masks, um, if that's you know making sure our filters have been changed, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, I I think that it's so far has been working, um, and also audiences have been great. You know, you, you have this fear that people will comment, "Oh, I'm yeah. vaccinated. I don't really need to wear my mask." Audiences they,
0: they've been wonderful. They've been
3: yeah. incredible. There there's not this like, oh, "Why is the line so long?" Like, right. They know everything that's happening. They know. They, I, also, they're appreciative that, that we are following the rules and mm-hmm. we are, you know, in some cases going above and beyond. Yeah. Um, you and
0: I even have had a couple of experiences where we've been at the theater and there has been on one or two occasions someone whose mask is either not on correctly or it's slipping down and this and that. And so we've had to go up to various audience members, whether it's in the lobby or in the theater and say, excuse me, I'm so sorry, you need to put that on. And sometimes that person is a little gruff back with us in that one scenario. But we've both experienced other audience members saying, thank you so much for telling that person to put their mask back on. We appreciate that so much. So hearing that from the other audience members has been great. So I would say, you know, over 99% of the audiences get it. And and they want to make sure that we proceed and are successful with
3: all of this. And that's been really wonderful to see. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think going back to the show, I mean, you know, my biggest fear is that we we do have someone who tests positive and what do we do well we've engaged understudies um which we typically don't do for limited runs um but we thought it was irresponsible to to not um and it's not just about irresponsible in light of a covid case you know there's also something about the show must must go on oh you have a sore throat well you're an actor deal with it. Um, it's moving out of that. It's yeah. it's it's understanding that um, that, you know, a sore throat may end up having the rest of the cast all catch whatever sore throat. So it's it's being um, proactive in that sense. It's also not for nothing, even though we only do seven shows a week as opposed to eight on Broadway. It's a lot it's a lot <laughs> for not only assassins it's a lot generally speaking yeah. and so um, you know we, we get it we hear it uh, so you know I don't know how long this will continue but um, but we're doing the best we can and if something if as new surprise comes on again going back to the old theater Rain has stopped the show before, so there's always something that, (laughs) that you can't, that you just, you do the best you can.
0: Well, thanks so much for talking to me, Tony, and, uh, can't wait to see what the rest of this run of this show is like. I can't either. (laughs) (laughs) Excited. Thanks. You know, it's so funny listening back to that interview because we did it a few weeks ago now um and thanksgiving happened between now and then and um a lot's happened a a lot has happened right and we're in the midst of the next variant is omicron's here and we don't know the extent of it as we're taping this part of the podcast now the kind of the the intros and the outros but um we don't know what's going to happen we don't know what time will tell luckily we're still in a place where it's really not affecting things for us in a, in a big way, but we really don't know what's, what's
1: ahead. And the good news is really none of our rules have changed. They've always been solid from the get go, which has been helpful. That's really been really good. Yeah. And something that, um, Tony talks about and does, I mean, the, we wear so many different hats in this small theater Mm -hmm. and her work is just so extraordinary to hear because she wears so many different ones and it's just cool to hear what she does I mean she's connected with every single department that's right you you're working on the next show and getting
0: that up and running yeah that's right with me on ticket sales or all that so yeah she's got a lot going on
1: yeah and something else happened since we last did this interview which is the extraordinary loss of Mr. Sondheim which I think was felt not only throughout our country but certainly the world yeah and it's we're we're really lucky that one, he came to see assassins mm-hmm. and that we get to continue celebrating his work for
0: ever. Oh yeah. And this production too is, you know, the audiences, they haven't, they haven't really changed. I mean, people have been excited to see this show
1: since, yeah. since
0: be- well before, um, you know, the, the time we're in right now, but um, they've been maybe a bit more reverent at the theater. They've been, um, we've definitely seen like a little bit of a surge in popularity um, over the past few weeks because I think people are they want they want to be here at this moment and they want to celebrate the work of of this legendary writer, this legendary uh, composer, and um, it's it's really special to to be there and to welcome these audiences in every night and to be able to be producing a work of his at this time in this moment is. I mean, we're
1: so lucky as a company to be able to do that, don't you think? Absolutely. And I think his presence is definitely felt. Oh, yeah. For sure. Between the actors and the audience, it feels right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely.
0: Well, I guess that wraps things up for our first episode of the new season. How'd it go, Zudi? How do 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 you... Did you enjoy yourself? Yes, this was a lot of fun. So you'll, you'll do more. You, you're not, this isn't
1: just a one-time thing. I think I'll be back. Okay, good. Yeah, for sure.
0: <laughs> well, I'm really glad you're with us, and I cannot wait to the next episode.
1: Yes, yes, me too. And thank you all for listening. Uh, for more information on Classic Stage Company and to listen to past episodes of CSC Podcast, visit us online at classicstage.org you